Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? You just watched that sermon, but I don't think any of you would be surprised, those of you that are part of the church family at least, to hear me say that I love my nation. I don't think there is any conflict whatsoever in my first priority being a follower of Jesus Christ and my very close second is to be a good citizen of these United States. Anybody in agreement with that? Is that okay? I don't, I don't worship the flag. I don't worship patriotism. But I believe God founded this nation for the purpose of being a light to the world. I do. And I love my nation. I've also had the privilege, as many of you know, of living uh, on three continents. And so I know what it's like to live outside of this world. And so I still get goosebumps when they play the national anthem. I do. I just, uh, I, I love my nation. But if you, if you have been around me very long, you also know that I believe that our nation is in trouble. The psalmist said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and we have been systematically, I hope you've been paying attention, but in case you haven't, we have been systematically as a nation removing God from the public discourse year after year after year for decades. Go to Washington, D.C., and the, and the signage that talks about the original Christian heritage of our nation, the prayer meetings where major decisions were made, those signs are going away in Washington, D.C. Step by step, day by day, year by year. It's been going away. I get invited to, to pray and speak at civic events, and, and I'm told, we, you know, you can't pray in the name of Jesus now because uh, we're going to stay generic, and more and more and more we've become uh, and are becoming a secular nation. And the problems are not just, uh, not just spiritual. They're, they're, that's real, but uh, let's be honest, guys. The very laws that govern our society are based on the Ten Commandments. The Bible that once was the, the basis for morality in our nation has become for far too many kind of a, an old book written by old guys that don't get it. And so people will say, thank you for telling me what you understand the truth to be. Now I have to figure out what my truth is. And we've gotten into this kind of relative uh, idea of what truth is all about. And so for the next few weeks, I mean, we could go on for a very long time with this, but I don't want to beat it up. I do want us to bring it to our focus, though, for a few weeks. I, I want to just lean into this idea of restoring values uh, that make a nation great, the values that formed our nation and make our nation great. Uh, and I want us to lean into those things. You, you also won't be surprised to hear me say I'm not ready to give up on America. I'm not. I'm not ready to give up. I, I believe Jesus is coming soon, and I believe that we're called to reach as many as we can as long as we can. And if he tarries his coming, uh, then I believe he wants to use America in the days ahead. And so uh, at a time in my life, if I can get real personal, at a time in my life when I'm tempted to stick my head in the sand because the issues are so huge, you know, go piddle in my shop and play with my grandkids, I'm doubling down. I'm just going after it. I've committed the rest of my productive life to leading a church that I believe is a change-making church, a hope-producing church, a life-giving church. I've added to that, and many of you know, the, the, the element of, of raising up churches like this church all across the nation. God's given me the privilege to do that. But, but hear me, guys, here's the deal. Even if we as a church and so many other churches uh, like ours that are working hard and doing great things for the kingdom, even if we do everything we possibly can, the need is so great that the sum of what we can do in our human effort will not bring the changes that need to be brought. America needs a miracle. Anybody with me on that? 
America needs a miracle. <laughs> the good news is we serve a miracle-making God. Yeah. Amen. Can I give you, give you a quick illustration from my background that will maybe give you context for where I'm coming from? This is not my notes. This is in my heart. So let me just see if I can do it quickly because I, I got a good long sermon here. No, it's a short sermon. I promise. Short, 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 short. Uh, but I, I do want to get into to the word. But, but I, I had the privilege of going to the Philippines in 1981. They did uh, a census in 1980, back in the day when they still asked what your religious affiliation was. And in 1980, 9% of the nation identified themselves as evangelical Christians, Bible-believing, born-again Christians. 9% in a nation of 60 million people. You do the math. Ten years later, 1990, they did the census. They asked the question again, and 21% of the nation identified themselves as, as born-again evangelical Christians. That's, that's a 12% swing in 10 years in a nation of 60 million people. God changed the face of a nation in one decade. And I got to be a little tiny, tiny part of that and watch that. I also got to watch on television when 2.8 million Filipinos gathered in, in Rizal Park in downtown Manila and the president of the nation stood on the stage while Christian leaders laid hands on her and prayed that God would be Lord of that nation. And she let them do it on national television, international television. I watched change happen in a nation. Does the Philippines still have problems? Sure they do. Every nation's got problems. You've got people in it, you've got problems. Your family's got people in it. Guess what? You got a problem. I mean, it's just, you know, relationships are messy. But, but I watch change, and I'm still believing that's possible in America. I want it so bad I can taste it. And so uh, what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks is we're going to be talking about some of these values that were inherent in our people in the forming of our nation uh, and see if we can rekindle some of those in our own hearts. But today what I simply want to do is help you to understand some of the general principles of how God takes a little and turns it into a lot. How God takes a, a, a little bit of sacrifice and makes it a phenomenal miracle. And it's from a story, perhaps one of the most familiar stories in Jesus' time. If you've been a Christian, you've been in church very long, you've no doubt read this story, heard this story preached from. Uh, and so I may not tell you anything new. It may just be a kind of a, a rekindler or I may challenge your thinking a little bit today. I don't know. But I want to give you the four simple principles that are identified in a story in the life of Jesus that, again, is very famous. We often refer to it as the feeding of the 5,000. It's found in Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 35. So if you brought a Bible, digital or printed, uh, you can go to Mark 6. We're going to be camping out there this morning. You can go to the Bridge NC app and download that app if you haven't already. Just open that up. The notes are there. All of the scriptures I'll be reading are there. In fact, you can save it to your journal. Take your own notes today. I hope you'll do that. Those of you that are watching online, please do that. Uh, get into the app and follow along with us today. So let's just get into it. The story takes place at the height of Jesus' popularity while he was on earth. Thousands of people were coming to hear him teach. He often would have to get in a boat and go out uh, into the water a little bit and use the natural amplification of the water for, the, for his voice to carry enough for people to hear. Or he would get up on a mountainside and look down over a valley and, and create an amphitheater kind of effect in order for his voice to carry because so many thousands of people were coming to hear what he had to say. In this particular case, the Bible says 5,000 men came. In the Hebrew world, they did census by men, uh, but in fact that meant 5,000 men plus women and 
children. So we don't know exactly how many people showed up. I had a single lady tell me one time, well, well if there was 5,000 men, there were at least 10,000 women. Because there's at least two women for every good man out there. I just, <laughs> oh, that's true or not. But, but we're, talking about, we're talking about a massive number of people, okay? 15,000 people will say. Four things you need to know if you need God to turn a little into a lot. If you need a miracle in your life, we need a miracle in our nation. Here's four things you need to know, and I'm going to let you go this morning. We're going to pray together. Number one, say, please, you've got to identify the problem. You've got to get honest about the problem. Mark chapter 6, verse 35. Let's read it together. I've given it to you in the NIV. Let's follow along. It's on the screens. Here we go. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can buy themselves something to eat. So what's the problem? 15,000 hungry people who are about to get hangry. You know, just, we, we got to do something about this, and there ain't no Bojangles nearby. All right? Here's the point. I, quickly, moving on. Every miracle begins with a problem. You don't want a problem. I don't want a problem. But if you ain't got no problems, you don't need a miracle. If you got a problem, guess what? You are positioned for a miracle. You're in a place where God can do something amazing in your life. It may be spiritual, it may be financial, it may be physical, it may be emotional, I don't know. But you've got to have a legitimate problem for God to do a miracle. Make sense? So you've got to identify it. Second principle. We'll spend a little more time on this one. Here we go. You've got to accept responsibility for the problem. That's a little harder than the first one, but here we go. You've got to accept responsibility for the problem. How did verse 35 start? What's that first phrase? You see it? His disciples came to him. Why did they do that? Because they're in a remote place. They've got a large crowd. There's no food. So they went to Jesus and said, Jesus, something's got to be done. Their solution was flawed. They said, send them away so they can get their own food. But at least they finally acknowledged that the problem Exist. Now, here's my question to you. Who do you think saw the problem first? Jesus or the disciples? Hello? Jesus did. That seems obvious, but it's, it's necessary for us to, to catch it because it's huge. This is huge, guys. Jesus saw the need long before they did, but he didn't do anything until they got concerned. When they got concerned, he got busy. So let's bring that home. If you're having a problem in your life right now, in your marriage, in your work, in your, uh, with, with drinking, with, with spending, with parenting, whatever it is, if you recognize that you haven't done anything about it yet, don't be surprised that God hasn't acted yet. It doesn't mean that he doesn't know. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a plan. It just means he's waiting for you to identify the problem and accept your area of responsibility for that problem. John's version of the same story actually said in, in chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. He already knew the miracle that he was going to perform. He was just waiting for them to step up and say, Jesus, something's got to happen here. Not only did he know about it, but he had a plan in place to solve the problem. He already had a plan. He just wanted to see them get concerned before he did the miracle that he was already planning 
to do. But it goes a little further than that because Jesus didn't just want them to recognize the problem. He wanted them to accept responsibility for the problem. I know that because when they went to him, Mark 6, 37, what was his answer to them? You give them something to eat. Jesus said, you got hungry feet, people feed them. Disciples said, what, what, are you kidding? That's, that's not possible. What, if we had enough hamburger, how long would it take to make 15,000 tacos? And we don't have any salsa or guacamole. What? You want us to feed them? What are you talking about? It's not, it's, here's the point. God often allows things to go from bad to worse because he's waiting on us to do what we can so that we will know what we did was not enough, but he is enough. Because at the end of the day, what he wants is not to give us tacos. At the end of the day, what he wants is a relationship with us based in confidence in who he is. So, yeah, he will let it get to that place where you say, Jesus, something's got to be done. He'll go, okay, man, I've been waiting for you to get here and tell me that. I've already got a plan in place. So is that how we respond as soon as we see a problem? It's not how the disciples responded. How, how do you respond? You don't have to answer me. Sit real still. But how do you respond when you hear God calling and he's telling you to do something about, maybe it's not as big as coming up with food for 15,000 people, but, uh, but you know he's spoken into your heart and he said, here's what I want you to do. How, how do you respond? The disciples, f- first step for them is they procrastinated. What did verse 35 say? By this time it was, what? Late in the day. In other words, they've been there all day. He's been teaching all day. Plenty of time for them to see the problem coming, but they put off saying anything about it until it was late in the day. You tell me if that's ever happened to you. You went days, weeks, years knowing that something ain't right, but you allowed other things and other pressures to sidetrack you before you ever did anything about it, and when it finally got to the place that the pressure was so strong, you had no choice but to do something about it, you rushed it and did it badly. Don't look at me like you don't know who I'm talking about, because you know who I'm talking about. I got to ask. I'm going to move on, but I got to ask, so what problem are you pretending doesn't exist right now? What issue are you putting off dealing with right now? Hear me, it's not going to go away. It's going to get worse before it gets better. God may well already have a miracle in store for you. He's just waiting for you to step up to the plate. The second thing they did is they passed the buck. Verse 36, what was their solution to the problem? Send them away. Let them get their own food. So once they realized that people couldn't wait any longer, they tried to pass the buck. Said, Jesus, not our problem. <laughs> you know, they, they knew when they came out here there weren't no Taco Bells. I mean, come on. We didn't ask them to come. We're, we're not here to solve their problem. It's not my ministry. That's not my area of giftedness. Isn't it wonderful? We, we, we train people to figure out what their spiritual gifts are, and then they use an excuse not to do what needs to be done. Well, I'm sorry, taking out the trash at my house is not one of my spiritual gifts, but you better believe if I don't do it, mama ain't going to be happy. 
So it's not our problem, it's their problem. So first they procrastinated and then they tried to pass the buck. All the while, the problem's getting wassa. Do I, do I need to take your time to even identify some of the problems in America? You know, we have the highest incarceration rate of any nation on the planet. 764 persons per 100,000 are in prison or jail somewhere right now. Do you know that the recidivation rate, which means they go back in, is 76.9%? Brace yourself. In my lifetime, we've killed 60 million babies. And we wonder why I have a generation that is angry all the time. We kill their brothers and sisters. America needs a miracle. We can keep sticking our head in the sand if we want to. We can keep procrastinating if we want to. We can say it's somebody else's job, somebody else's ministry. Somebody else ought to do something about this if we want to. But it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I believe with everything in me that God is saying, I got a plan. I just need you to step up. I just need you to identify the problem and then accept responsibility for your part of it. The third thing that they did is I see a lot in modern times we procrastinate and then we tried to pass the buck, and then when it gets finally so bad we can't do either one of those things, we just worry. We just worry. That's what we do. We just worry. Verse 37 of Mark 6, that would, be, uh, that would take eight months of man's wages, the disciples said. Are we going to go and spend that much? I mean, their anxiety went to a, 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 a crescendo. They found themselves going, what in the world are we going to do? How can we afford that? How are we going to transport the food? How are we going to keep it hot? Who's going to clean up the mess for all these, this big giant picnic? Who's going to underwrite the, the liability insurance for feeding these people? Somebody's bound to get food poisoning in a crowd this big out in the desert. What are we going to do about that? Who's going to do the environmental impact study before we... The funny thing about it, it's funny, not funny, ha-ha, funny, interesting, is that all the while they're worrying about this stuff, the king of kings and the Lord of lords is standing right in front of them. The one who spoke and the world came into existence is standing right there, and they're looking for Colonel Sanders to give a freebie. All the while they're procrastinating and they're trying to pass the buck and they're worrying and here's Jesus going, I got a plan. I got a miracle. Which leads us to the third principle in this journey and that is do what you can with what you have. They didn't have enough hamburger to feed 15,000 people or enough fish or rice or beans or whatever it is that they wanted to feed them with. They didn't have enough. But that's not, God doesn't, calling us to have enough to meet an entire need, all he calls on us to do is to do what we can with what we have. And he's calling on us to do that before he steps in. Verse 38, Mark 6. Jesus looked at him and said, well, go back and give me a plan for feeding 15,000 people. Do some, do some number crunching on, on how much hamburger it's going to take, how many buns, how much ham, mustard. How, am I reading the right version? What do you say? 
Well, how many loaves you got? Go see. Go find out. And they said, well, we got, we got five loaves and two fish. That, that's what we got. And if you know the story, you know one little boy, his mama made him a sack lunch before he went to church that morning, and that's what was in his sack lunch, his two little barley loaves, five little barley loaves and little tiny loaves of bread and, and, uh, and two fish to give to the king of kings. And, and Jesus worked a miracle from it. You ever heard the expression, out of the mouth of babes? And the children will teach them. Sometimes maybe I think if we paid more attention to the trust of a child, we'd get more done for the kingdom of God. Am I right? So can we just learn three lessons from this little boy right quick? Just three quick lessons. Here, here's what I see happen in this little boy's heart. Don't have a lot of detail, but here's what I think happened. First of all, he gave what he had. He didn't give what he didn't have, nothing fancy about it. Barley loaves are the kind of the cheapest kind of bread there is, two little sardines, something like that. He didn't have much, but that's what he had, and that's what he gave. The point simply is never underestimate what God can do through ordinary people with limited resources when it's given to him in faith. fact is, God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. That's what, he's chosen to do the amazing things on the planet with ordinary people. People, In fact, he told Paul, I'll use your weakness to confound the strong. He's chosen the foolish things in life to demonstrate his strength. I had the privilege several years ago of being invited to a Bill Bright's uh, 85th birthday party. Me and a few other thousand people, it's not like, Dr. Bright and I were friends or anything, but uh, I got invited to his 85th. <laughs> and, uh, and so this is two days of several thousand people gathered at First Baptist Church of Orlando, and, and they're celebrating all the things that Dr. Bright and his wife Vonette had done over the years. For those of you who don't know, founders of Campus Crusade for Christ. At that point, they had 500,000 people on staff of Campus Crusade. Millions of people came to Christ and were discipled in Christ, not just on college campuses, but on military bases and in corners all over the planet. After a day of accolades and speeches about the amazing things that Dr. Bright and his wife Vonette had accomplished in their lifetime, he finally took the stage, and here's what he said. 65 years ago, Vonette and I wrote out a contract, and we both signed it. And the contract simply said, we are slaves of Jesus Christ. If anything's happened since then, we're just slaves of Jesus Christ. I find myself sometimes, you know, you do that as you go back to blonde. <laughs> Looking back over my life and thinking about the adventures that I've been on and the things that God has privileged me to be a tiny part of. But you know what comes up? You know what wells up? If you've been around the halls of this church during the week, sometimes you've 
might have heard me do it. It just wells up in me every now and then when I was 15, singing in the youth choir of my home church, and they taught me a song. Jesus, use me. And, oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Some of you remember that old song. For surely there's a work that I can do. And even though it's humble, Lord, help my will to crumble. Though the cost be great, I'll work for you. Those simple words resonate in my spirit. Come up in my heart, come out of my mouth, walking down the road, driving down the road, often alone. I'm just a kid from Bladenboro. All I'm saying to you is if you make yourself available to God, he will wear you out. (laughs) No, I'm doing pretty good. He will use you for things you never dreamed. He will do things through you that you never dreamed, and you'll get to be a part of something that he's doing that is far bigger than you or the collection of people that you're associated with. It's not a question of ability or resources. It's a question of availability. God does extraordinary things through ordinary people who make themselves available to him. The second lesson we get from the little boy is that he gave all he had. He gave it all. He didn't hold anything back. Which begs the question, if you aren't seeing miracles in your life, uh, what are you holding back? Could that be it? Could it be that you're saying, God, I'll give you this part of my life, this part of my life, but I'm going to hold on to this? You can be Lord of these areas of my life, but I'm going to continue to control this. I'm going to hang on to this relationship. I'm going to hang on to this career. I'm going to hang on to this pet sin. I'm going to hang on to this hurt. Uh, You can be Lord in all these other areas, but I'm going to keep this from myself. I'm not ready to give it to you. Could that be the thing that's blocking Jesus from doing the very miracle that he's planned in your life? I don't know. You've got to stop and ask yourself the question, can I just be really serious with you for a minute and say if I've learned anything through the years and working with people, it is that every one of us, every follower of Jesus Christ comes to a point. For some, it's very soon after they make that commitment. For others, it's down the road a ways. (coughs) But regardless of the timing (coughs) of it all, every Christian comes to that place where they find themselves going, Jesus, am I playing games or or am I all in? Am I in this for what I can get, or am I actually just a follower of Jesus Christ, and wherever you lead, I'll follow. Whatever you say, I'll do. Whatever you call on me, no question here, no procrastination here, no passing the buck here, no worrying here, I'm yours. Boom, I'm yours. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I believe every Christian comes to that place. Maybe we come to that place over and over and over again during the course of years of walking with him when new things arise and he calls us again and again. But you know who the saddest Christians are on the planet? It's the ones who blink when that moment comes. It's the ones who say, ah, I think that's the Lord, but I got this 
I got this thing, you know, I got this career, I got this retirement looming, I got this, I got this relationship, I got this hurt. You don't understand what I've been through. You, whatever it is that you're holding back, hear me, guys, please, I beg you, don't hear me being judgmental or mean spirited, but hear my heart. Holding back from the Lord is what may be preventing you from the miracle that you're longing for. This little boy brought what he had. He brought all he had. Lesson three, he gave it immediately. No hesitation, didn't wonder about it, no sleepless nights. He saw the need, he gave what he had. He set the stage for a, a miracle. Again, we come to those points, those moments when we know that Jesus is saying, I need you to do more than just kind of go to church. I need you to get beyond the consumer stage of this thing. I need you to actually be all in for me. I need you to say, you're, you're the commander-in-chief. My answer is yes, and I don't even need to know what the question is. But for many of us, we find ourselves going, <sighs> kind of like Andrew did in John's version of this story. He said, well, God, how far will this even go? We want to see the miracle. We see the need. We, we even figure out we're supposed to do something about this, but we're scared, we're panicked, and we go, this isn't, no, you, one little lunch, I mean, all these people, that's not going to help. I think for many of us, it's, it's fear. If I give up my lunch, what am I going to eat? Our little boy had faith. Perhaps faith is a grain of mustard seed, but it was faith, the kind that moves mountains. He said, okay, I see the need. Here it is. You can have my lunch. And I'm just going to trust that God will figure out a way to meet my needs. Here's the principle. I've got to move on. But if you, want a God's, if you want to see God turn a little into a lot, whether we're talking about your, na your, your, uh, your life, your family, uh, or, or our nation, you've got to do what you can with what you have regardless of the odds. And watch God make up the difference between what you're capable of and what the need is. But you've got to believe he will before he will. Faith disregards the odds. I don't see the little boy saying, well, you know, I would give this, but there's it's so little. I mean, this won't help much. He just said, okay, I'll give what I got. Here it is. Here's, it's yours. That's what Paul said to the church at at uh, Corinth, 2 Corinthians 8, 12, once the commitment is clear, do what you can. Not what you can't. Nobody's asking you to do more than you can. We're just saying do what you can. God isn't saying do more than you can. He's just saying do what you can. And for those of you that are part of this church family, you know that, that uh, that's what offering fit for the king really is all about around here. About once a year, we, we put... Uh, an opportunity before all of us to say, okay, where are we in this journey? Where are we in this process? Where are we? Where am I in this process? And I'm to be honest with you guys, I don't know why God used money as the acid test of our faith, but he did. People will say all the time, well, well, I can't afford to tithe money, so I'll tithe time. Well, I'm sorry. God turns a little into a lot. If you need more time, then okay, tithe your time. But, but if you need more money... You've got to plant money seeds to get more money. That's how it works. You don't plant time seeds to get something else. That's not how the law of the harvest works. And so every year, offering fit for a king comes out. Do we have those envelopes? Are they here? Are there, do you have envelopes in your chairs? 
don't have them, you'll get them on the way out. Simply put, October 6th, we're going to ask you to bring lunch. For some of you, that'll be a tithe. For some of you, you're already tithers. It's going to be a sacrificial gift, what God has called you to do. All I'm saying to you is don't give what you don't. Give what you have. That's what I'm doing. That's what Kim and I are doing. We're already praying because we knew this day was coming. I wrote a little letter and, and, and gave it to you. I'm going to ask you to sit down with your spouse if you're married and with your kids if you have kids and pray together as a family and come to a conclusion that, that uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring our lunch as Jesus commanded, and I believe with everything in me that God will multiply those little boys' lunches and to accomplish something more than we ever dare to dream or think or ask. So let me be clear in case you're wondering. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. I don't think the problems of America will be solved by who's in the White House. I, I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, or Independent, or or, or you don't care about politics. I, the, our problems will not be solved by who's in the governor's house. It's, I'm not saying don't care about this stuff. By all means, care about this stuff. By all means, pray uh, biblically, pray moral values, uh, be involved. But the, it ain't going to solve our problems. If it was, it would have. I believe God established the local church as the forum for meeting the needs of the world. And so offering fit for a king, October 6th, is an opportunity for us to bring our lunch and say, Jesus, I want you to multiply this by hundreds, by thousands to accomplish what you have in mind, which leads us to the fourth principle, and that is expect a miracle. Just expect a miracle. Expect that God's going to do something amazing. When you recognize the problem, when you accept responsibility for your part of that problem, and then you do what you can with what you have, then you can expect that God is going to show up because that's what he promised he would do, and that's what he does. So we're ready for the exciting part of the story? Anybody ready for the exciting part of the story? Here we go. Verse 39 to 43. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the grass, taking five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and set before the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. You get the picture. They started breaking bread and handing it out and breaking bread and handing it out. And as it was being passed as it was happening it just kept multiplying and multiplying and multiplying Jim that's not possible I know that's the exciting part we serve a God who specializes in things that were thought impossible read the scriptures nothing is too difficult for God all things are possible for them who believe with God all things are possible over and over and over again you see in scriptures big statements yeah but he's a really big God but before he acts he calls on us to identify the problem accept responsibility for what we can do do what we can with what we have and then he says I will take it from there and I will do what you can't do oh and before we before we close and I hush. Uh, there's one more principle in here. I'll just throw it in for your benefit. Not only will God do more, uh, but do you see how, the, how that section of Scripture ended? Did, did you see it? The disciples did what? After everybody was full? 
that picked up 12 baskets full of food. So one lunch after the need was met became 12 baskets of leftovers. Can you imagine if you sent your son to Sunday school one Sunday morning and gave him a lunch to take and he came home with a pickup load of food and you said, where'd you get that food? I just gave it and this is what they gave back. I don't <laughs> Yeah, right. No, the staff gave it to me, Mom, I'm telling you. Did you go buy a convenience store and rob the place? Come on, where'd you get all this food? I mean, this, it would just feel really kind of strange with that happened, but that's exactly what happened. The point simply is this. Anytime you hear God calling you to do and give, you always get, get back more than you gave. That's how it works. I wish I had time to to tell you story after story from the lives of so many people that I've known and the privilege that I've had to see God work in my life over the years in that kind of way. I don't have much, Lord, but I will give what I have. I will give it now. You set the stage for God to do something amazing. And I believe that that's what our nation needs doesn't need the correct political party in office, doesn't need new legislation to correct the problems. By all means, stay engaged in the process. Our nation needs Jesus and needs local churches that see themselves as the agents of God's grace to the community where they're planted. You see, we don't come to church just to get and then go on about our lives. We come to church to give so we can multiply it and we can make a difference in the world. And you're part of a church. Maybe you're here for the first time or maybe you've been here a long time, but you're part of the church, a church that gets it. From the prison ministries that we do on a regular basis to the Celebrate Recovery ministries that we do to the work that we're doing with the Wayne Pregnancy Center to the, to the work that we're involved in in the public schools to the numbers of people, hundreds of people that give their lives to Christ through this ministry. Every year, church is still teaching the Word of God. Just basically, here's what the book says. We're not going to water it down. We're not going to load it down with a lot of tradition, but we're not going to water it down either. Here's what the book says. Here's the owner's manual, and I believe with every Everything in me. The hope of our nation is the local church, and I think we get to be a part of one that gets it. I believe we're a people who will identify the problems, who will do what we can, accepting responsibility for what we can do, and who will believe that God is going to do something amazing. So I want to close this service today maybe a little differently than we do sometimes. I'm going to ask you, if that's who you are, I believe it is, but if that's who you are, would you do me the honor of just coming and standing in this altar? Let's just, as an act of solidarity and commitment, and to say, whatever God prompts me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Whether it's give, it's serve, it's unite, whatever. What God, God's going to call, I'm going to say yes. I've already decided. If you'll come, I'm that little boy. Would you just come and let's close this service around these altars this morning? Can you do that? you're not ready to make that commitment, nobody's here to guilt trip you or judge you in any way, I'm just asking you to prayerfully consider, and we're going to pray a simple prayer. Lord, I'm the little boy. I'll bring what you prompt me to bring. There's not room for everybody to get down, but at least just take a step. 
make a move. It's a physical step sometimes is a tangible expression of what's going on in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you, Lord, for these people. So we don't have one little boy in this church. We've got a couple thousand of them, little boys, little girls. We're ready to say, here's my lunch. If you can use it, Lord, it's yours. If you have a use for it, I'll give it to you. I'm trusting you to make up the difference between what I'm giving and what the need is. I pray blessing over every one of the men and women and families that are represented around this altar right now. I pray, Lord, that even as you speak to them and give them direction, that not only will they say yes, but they will see your hand of blessing in their lives and in their families. As a result, they'll recognize that you are the God of the universe, the God of their lives. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Before you go, we've got one more prayer we need to pray. Sometimes when God calls us to give, it's a sacrifice. Amen? And sometimes those sacrifices are bittersweet. And so I've got some bittersweet news for you. This past week, Pastor Jared came to me. Of course, we've been talking for a month, and he's handled this with incredible integrity. But he came to me and told me that he and Amanda feel that the Lord has called them to become a part of Renovation Church in Hampstead, North Carolina. And we're going to seed them into the kingdom of God in Jesus' name, even though we'd rather keep our lunch. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Jared, Amanda, Kylie, can we pray over these guys? Just reach a hand in this direction and just bless these guys. I've said it several times already. Jared's handled this with such incredible integrity. My respect for him was already here, but it's just gone there in the process of this. And uh, we just know that God's prepared the right person to, to meet the needs of the Princeton Bridge, but he's also prepared the way for them to do what God's called them to do. So let's bless them now. Father, thank you for Jared and Amanda and Kylie. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for their commitment to you. Thank you for the things that they do behind the scenes that nobody even knows about but you. They brought their lunch many, 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 many times over the years, and you used it in ways that they won't even know this side of eternity. But I do pray blessing over them. I pray favor. I pray direction. I pray provision. And I thank you in advance for the way that's going to come. In Jesus' name. And I pray for our church and our ministry, Lord, that you will give us wisdom and direction as we fill these giant shoes, build on the foundation that Jared has laid in creative arts, Amanda's laid as a praise team leader and VIP leader, and just their influence in this house as bridge group leaders. They do so many things we're thankful for. We pray blessing over them. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Can we give it up? Just appreciation for Jared and Amanda. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. If you're a first-time guest, please give your Connect card to the VIP table. We've got a thank you for coming gift uh, that we'd like to put in your hands. The rest of you, give your Connect card to the ushers on the way out. God bless you guys.